Hello and welcome to Future Thinking from Stylus. I'm your host, Christian Ward, Head of Media and Marketing at Stylus. And today we'll be talking about spatial computing, how digital content will escape the confines of the 2D screens we use today and create an interactive layer all around us. To discuss this topic and what it means for brands, I'm joined by Stephen Graves, Senior Editor for Consumer Attitudes and Technology at Stylus, and Mark Ralston, joining us from Austin, Texas, Founder and Chief Creative at design consultancy Argo Design. And among Argo Design's work is their partnership with Magic Leap in the creation of a mixed reality headset and user experience. So first of all, Mark, what is um, this idea of spatial computing and how does it encompass terms that some of our audience may already know, like augmented reality or mixed reality? Yeah, so uh, good question. It's a great place to start because there's obviously a lot of uh, sort of chatter about it. It's it sort of reached mainstream news, um, but these are still really technical creations right now and not something easily consumed. Uh, when we look at the, the range of technologies, um, so if we start from the disposition of just about everybody's got a computer, um, if you can afford one, if you live in the modern world, you probably live with and around uh, all kinds of forms of computing. But all of those are experienced, as you might say, much like you experience a hammer as this sort of separate tool that you address uh, when you need it. And uh, e despite the fact that we're quite reliant on our phones, um, there's still very much a sort of separate thing that sort of sits next to us in our pocket. What we're talking about is a new realm of technology that is about essentially overlaying or even, say, invading our perceptual space. Um, in other words, not simply a computer like a tool you can address, but something that uh, changes the way you see the world, literally. So not just kind of conceptually, the way, let's say, a phone changes the way you see things like truth, uh, which is a problem we're dealing with today. Uh, computing has sort of changed what it means, uh, you know, given social networks, what it means to sort of um, convey a truth, uh, because there are so many truths now and they can come at us so quickly. We're struggling with that. So now imagine that sort of level of struggle um, amplified by the idea of the very things you see uh, becoming this sort of mutable, editable, designable, since we're talking about the creative world here and, and designing for brands, a designable space. So uh, getting more specifically, the simplest one to understand is VR. So VR creates its own universe, creates its own world, um, but it behaves in the way that we sort of perceptually understand our world, right? If we can tilt our head and look around and walk up and down stairs or walk, you know, left and right, we see that in the real world and we sort of understand our place in it. And with VR, we getting pretty good, especially in the game world of uh, simulating that, those sensations, visually at least. Um, but it's another world we have to craft. And so the usefulness of that is pretty well contained to the kinds of worlds we can craft, um, like games, and most specifically games. And, and that will probably be stuck in that sphere for quite a while until the technology gets really good. So it'll be maybe outside of gaming in places like training. But so that takes us to the other technologies, which are say you might say much more profound. AR is is think of that as a, a sort of a well-tuned um, overlay. You know, imagine just holding up your phone um, and seeing, uh, for example, the Pokemon world through your phone, uh, almost like a kind of a set of binoculars. 
that's overlaid on top of the real world. It's augmenting the real world, given the term augmented reality. Now, AR is, is somewhat limited because it's really considered an overlay on top of whatever was there. That takes us to the sort of the, you might say the holy grail, which is the thing we've spent most of our time right now working on. And mixed reality is very similar to AR, except that it recognizes and respects the boundaries of the real world. So most fundamentally, if, for example, I take a virtual dinosaur and I drop him onto the floor, he will respect the floor. In other words, he'll fall onto the floor and hit the floor and start walking around your living room. And let's say you have a coffee table. What's so profound about that moment is the dinosaur can walk under the coffee table and will disappear under that table. Uh, you won't see him. And let's say you start paying attention to other things. Let's say you go to the bathroom or you walk into the kitchen and then you come back in the living room. You may have lost him. He's somewhere in the room. you got to look for him just like you had a cat. Uh, that's a kind of profound moment in computing where it is now part of your perceptual space. And while it's still a computing experience, it's still a very sort of editable, um, you know, man-made thing, it starts to blend with the natural world in ways that fool us. You, you guys at Argo Design have done some work with sort of bringing digital layers into the real world using, for example, projectors and, and those sorts of techniques as well. Yeah, yeah. Our motivation there was both technical and sociological. And I'll, I'll try and describe them both uh, without getting too nerdy. Um, on the technical side, we just simply wanted to allow people to experience things without having a computer on their body. Um, and to do that, we wanted to essentially use the infrastructure of the world. The computing has been aggressively solved in terms of devices. In other words, companies have pursued every form factor they could come up with in terms of the shape and purpose of computers for the last 30, 40 years. Uh, but very little energy has gone into introducing those ideas into the world we live in so that the things that stay where they stay, like a room, like a conference room or a bedroom or a living room, um, other than television, entertainment technology, which is kind of very directional and very passive oriented. And we thought, well, let's let's try and solve for that. And there's there's several easy places to experiment, like the tables. We all deal with tables. It's sort of a classical thing. You can go to any part of the world and there are tables uh, and walls. And these things are great places to introduce um, a layer of computing because they can then sort of create the perception that the world is uh, coated with a layer of computing. And then we can do things like bring up a computer when we need it and more importantly, put it away when we don't uh, so that we're not staring uh, at machines when it's not a suitable thing to do. Um, so the second is more sociological, which is if you think about computing today, brands deal with and people deal with computers as conversations between uh, the machine and one person. Even if we're editing a, a document together, or like we're doing right now, talking uh, together using uh, a computer, it's just one person inputting into the machine and, and seeing the content for the most part. Um, what we're, what, and by the way, this is called interactive light is what we're really talking about. Um, what interactive light offers is, is an opportunity of introducing a computer to a room full of people. It's the same machine. It's the same interface. 
And anyone at the table has permission to reach out and touch it, to reach out and, and request information or to read the same information together side by side or across from each other. And it changes the nature of a computing experience. And that's um, a new thing. And we think a right thing, uh, something that's missing in the world and um, uh, a huge opportunity. So we'd like both that ad hoc moment where you can just walk in and any wall can be the thermostat or be a schedule um, or a plant can tell you that it needs to be watered uh, without having to have a computer installed in it that needs Bluetooth sync and runs out of batteries and yada, yada. Uh, you can have all these little tiny computing moments through projection, through interactive light. And also anybody can come up to it and, and engage it and uh, any number of people. That's Those are two great uh, properties. And so that's why we've pursued it. And, we're, you know, one day we may find someone willing to uh, pursue that um, as a real product. Right now it's just a concept. So obviously we've, we've talked here a little bit about, you know, um, animated dinosaurs in your room and then, you know, using uh, interactive light for things like thermostats and so on. But what are the sort of more um, sort of far-reaching ideas that you have about how this technology can be used in terms of changing consumer behavior, changing the way that we interact with the world? Knowing more about the world. That's the most obvious vector whenever you think about uh, overlaying the world with a, a layer of computing. So when I look at a cup of coffee... I can know more than I can perceive about it just by looking. Um, I can know it's still too hot to drink. I can know it was this kind of Colombian bean. Um, I can know how much I need to pay for it. Um, all of those things can be overlaid onto that moment. Now, that's a simplest example because it's just a cup of, cup of coffee, and really we don't have to know any of that stuff. But we can do all kinds of really important things if I'm staring at a very dangerous machine or a machine I don't know how to use or I'm at a, a gathering and there's people I don't know and I'd like to be introduced to them. I'd like what essentially might be a sort of uh, Cyrano de Bergerac sitting in the bushes helping me through that conversation, right? Um, who is this person? Um, what... Uh, position do they hold if this is a professional gathering? Uh, what might get me rolling in terms of conversation? All of those things modify or accentuate the real world and give me, the individual, an upper hand um, or at least some advantage, right? And if we're all doing it, it either enhances the moment or negatively it creates an arms race of intelligence. Um, so these are all not positive possibilities. But when we think about information, a lot of the purpose of computing is tell me more about the world around me. For example, maps, you know, have been immensely useful and help me find my way around the world. It's one of the greatest parts of the computing invention is just knowledge of the world, um, knowledge about each other, social networking, obviously a huge facet, the ability for people not only to report on themselves, but other people to consume that information and, and, either to just enjoy it at that level or um, uh, use it. And and like LinkedIn, it's a very sort of purposeful social network. Now imagine the, bringing those things to the moment of the engagement with that person. That's a, a pretty interesting possibility. If you look at 
what's happening today, instead of computing helping us be more with the world, it is replacing it. Um, I'll use the example of my 14-year-old daughter. She's a wonderful person, but like so many uh, young people, they are sucked into an alternate world, a world where their friends or people they don't know are portraying their lives in a sort of a simulacra. You know, here's my better life through Instagram. Uh, here, here I am having a fantastic time on the beach where they've taken a perfect photograph, but managed to isolate all the crap to the left and the right of the, the photograph and the fact that they really didn't have a very good day, they are creating a sort of idealized versions of themselves, of their days, of their environments. And while that's perfectly fine, uh, it's not necessarily a new thing. It's just amplified to the point where you can essentially leave, I would say leave, but you can ignore the real world and to spend a lot of time just sort of consuming what essentially is an artificial world or a, at least a abstracted version of the real world. Um, consuming content. And that, while that um, right now is sort of um, throttled by the fact that we've got tiny little screens and batteries run out and networks are at least a little bit expensive and parents are still saying, put that away. Imagine a world where um, that is part of your perceptual space, right? Where what you look out into the world and see could not only be what's in really in front of you, but whatever you desire to be in front of you. So rather than looking out into traffic, I can look out into uh, my Instagram feed. So that is, you know, this other vector is rather than more about the world, it's more about the, it's diving further into the computing uh, generated world. And that's, um, you know, there's all sorts of possibilities there that might be good for those who are, you might say if you're in a, airport or a doctor's office lobby and the world doesn't present much for you to consume, it's sort of a boring moment, you can generate a fantastic moment. But for so many other times when you really should be present, computing offers uh, uh, maybe an unhealthy distraction. And you can see, obviously, socially, we're still grappling with that right now. It's a sort of growth stage of society. It also introduces all sorts of questions of like agency and consent as well, because if you're creating this layer um, that you overlay on top of reality to your tastes, that might not chime with other people's. So um, there's the you know there's the famous Absolutely. there's the famous joke about how you um, you're going to a job interview and you're stressed out. So imagine your interviewer is naked. Well, now you can, but they didn't consent to that. They didn't agree to that. So that's kind of an, an awkward uh, situation it's creating. Or I could overlay, you know, Snapchat dog filters on everyone if they like it or not. That's that's very true. And um, I would suggest that that's actually the least problematic part of it. It is less about what I might do to you or you might do to me, because you and I can have an argument about that. Or um, we can at least build a social contract of understanding that if you see me with that device, um, you can react a certain way. But what we're missing in this equation is the vast middleman that participates in this and is not simply feeding, let's say, a, a nudity filter to me on demand. They're driving content on their purposes. In other words, they're feeding us a life that they would like us to live 
Um, and I don't want to sound too polemic about it, but I think it it deserves that. We're really um, not simply uh, using computers to affect the life we would like, um, but we are increasingly being driven to lead a life that is essentially the kind of thoughtless aggregate of a series of advertisers. And that's not – it's neither healthy nor an intended outcome. So even if you can argue about the sort of relative health of it, um, it's certainly not an intended design. And uh, it's something that society still haven't figured out uh, how, to, how to deal with. So how do you and Magic Leap address this issue? Because obviously um, Magic Leap, I assume, will be working with brands in the future, uh, much as many um, augmented and, and VR companies have been working with brands so far. Because um, obviously this is a very interesting technology for advertisers uh, if they use it um, in a responsible way. But how do, we, you know, how do you um, make sure that they do use it in a responsible way? First of all, the easiest thing to say is all of us are collectively in those very early stages, more like the 1980s in computing of just trying to make it work and trying to make it useful in terms of doing the things um, that maybe one day will get us in trouble, but we're still trying to get the basics to work. Um, and so that's that's a sort of the immediate focus. However, uh, there are a lot of these conversations that are exactly about the question you asked going on and designs being made. And to that end, I have to say, I'm not Magic Leap's spokesperson. Sure. So I'm not going to officially answer that at all. But I will give them a huge amount of credit from the conversations we have. They are extremely uh, conscientious about that and, and fully intend to build a computer that is the property of the owner. In other words, the experience is driven, our experience is driven by the person operating it and in respect to the collective experience of the people that might operate it in a shared experience. In other words, this is a people's machine. And because I think that they are in this unique situation coming at it as a new kind of computer. So they have this sort of fresh moment where they get to define some of the rules rather than inheriting a lot of old rules. If you look at the PC, there's a very long path to get to where it is today. And then the web is an extension of that, and the mobile phone is an extension of both of those things. And so there's this sort of very long um, long path to how those were created, and much less of a clean slate moment where they looked at the entire environment. Instead, they're sort of built upon other inventions that were built upon other inventions. And, and not a lot of time was taken to sort of say, what do we want the net effect of the use of this machine to be? This moment, back to your question around Magic Leap, is they have an opportunity of really uh, trying to articulate that having seen all of those other effects and um, maybe try and create something better. So there is at least the intent, but I can't give you specifics about that other than to say um, rather than allowing third parties to dictate what someone sees, you have to make sure and build a very explicit contract with the with the operator of that machine, the user. Um, Stephen, we've talked a little bit about the sort of generation that's growing up with this technology. And obviously it's quite um, inevitable that we worry about the risks. 
but this is quite a savvy generation too. They've grown up with Snapchat filters and you know a certain amount of VR and gaming technology, which you know it's a very sophisticated consumer behaviour that they're that they're doing every single day. Um, is this you know are they going to take to this technology? Do you think and 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 not become um, overwhelmed or, or sort of exploited by it? Do you think there is a, a positive future for, for the next generation? I think it's interesting. There's, there's a sort of sliding scale of, of how brands will be involved in this space. And at one, end, at one extreme, you've got stuff like the, there was a 2016 short film called Hyper Reality, which depicts this sort of nightmarish Black Mirror dystopia where every surface is a gamified ad and it's inescapable. And at the other end of the scale is the sort of the nightmare scenario for brands, which is that people might start using these devices to curate their reality and block ads in real life as well as in the digital space. I think it's probably going to fall somewhere between the two stools. Um, The other interesting thing is that we're talking about the current generation who are sort of familiar with gaming. I think they'll take to it like a duck to water. What's more interesting to me is the the next generation. So at the moment we talk about kids as being sort of digital natives and, um, you know, glued to their, their smartphones. And we sort of shake our heads when we see a, a, a very young child, like a toddler, trying to swipe at the pages of a, of a book in reality and then expecting something to happen. What I find really interesting about these sort of technologies is that with a digital layer overlaid over everything, the next generation of kids will swipe a book and something will happen. So you'll have this sort of interaction between the physical and digital that you just don't have at the moment. That's a really interesting point in terms of um, blurring the physical and digital, obviously something we talk about on Stylist quite a lot, especially when it comes to bringing a kind of humanity back to technology. Um, uh, Mark, I wonder if you have any thoughts on that idea in terms of how the physical and the digital will will become more um, compatible with this technology. Yeah, I think you guys are headed down the right road that people will become very comfortable with the idea that everything um, is or can be intelligent, that every object, and and we can say quite literally, every object in the house, in the in the world, could can be inspected and in some way conversed with. Not everything will have much of a story to tell, but everything will have some story to tell, and some things will have quite a story to tell and may actually be quite animate. Um, and when we bring brands into this story, I think that is an amazing story for brands, uh, but they have to get their head around the fact that the last hundred years for a brand to speak to the public, they sort of had to take themselves out of the moment where they were relevant and you might sort of invade the rest of the that person's perceptual space by a billboard, in other words, to talk about toothpaste. But if you empower the toothpaste to speak at any moment that is truly relevant to that person about keeping their teeth clean, then you've bought a certain power that's far more powerful than that billboard would have ever been. And you have to respect the fact that there's going to necessarily be a counterbalance where those billboards can no longer be invaded or should at least for the health of society, uh, which will pay back uh, to those brands, uh, no longer be about things like trivial crap like that. Um, We also, you know, whether or not brands like it or not, I'm not expecting necessarily this is something brands 
voluntarily get on board. Society as a general, and in general, and as well as the government, has to realize that computing has become such a powerful mechanism. It's no longer something equivalent to billboards and magazine ads, but truly equivalent to almost like um, LSD, truly changing how we perceive the world in the moment we're using it, that it can't be dishonestly invaded. It has to be something the user is conscious of where content, where decisions are being driven from. If I ask, for example, a map, show me the best way home, that has to be in calculatable understandable terms, the best way home and not the, the path that takes me by the sponsors of that way home. Unless, of course, that's a contract I am aware of. I'm consciously requesting. And even then, we have to be careful because it will change literally the way we think. And um, But I think that's a fa- extremely fair trade and quite an, quite an upside for brands to think about the sort of animate world where digital and physical are so combined that anytime I need anything, um, that information's there. And for them, the real adventure is, how do I make sure when someone's asking about cleaning my teeth, I'm jumping onto that story and offering up the most salient information? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting and important point. You know, in the days where a billboard was all they had, advertisers, advertisers, you know, we're creative, but perhaps not as creative as they could be because there's limited stuff you can do with a billboard. Now you're talking about such creativity um, being unlocked that I think it's a very exciting, exciting time for brands to, to be looking at this sort of technology as a, a, as a way to free their creativity and start taking responsibility, but really thinking about, you know, what, what they can do that's completely um, more, you know, much more engaging than anything they've done before. I look forward um, to talking to my toothpaste in the future. I'm sure we all do. Um, I think that was a really amazingly fascinating um, conversation. Um, I'd like to thank my guests, Mark Rolston and Stephen Graves. And thank you for listening. Um, Tune in next time for more Future Thinking from Stylus. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. If you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available. 